In a changing year, how do you deal with uncertainty when it comes to making investments in real estate? In today's episode with David Thompson, we're going to dive into exactly how he thinks about investing in times of uncertainty and some of the upsides and advantages that are really here for us today that we can be applying and using in our investment business. Let's dive into it. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Investors, have you grabbed your copy of the Passive Investor Playbook yet? If you haven't, I recommend you go pick up the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at theinvestormindset.com slash passive. You can grab that in the show notes right down below as we've interviewed tons of the top experts and brought together all of the knowledge that we have on passive investing so that you can lay a foundation for yourself to make sure you're making the right decisions in your investing career. You can grab that guide at theinvestormindset.com slash passive. I hope you'll take advantage of it. Let's get back to it. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pesavento. And today I have in the studio, David Thompson. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing great, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Of course, I'm glad to have you here. And as you guys know, Dave is incredible when it comes to putting capital with real estate deals. He's got strong experience in the real estate investing space, both domestic and international projects covering single family, multifamily and land development. And after over 20 years in a high tech corporate world, Dave left, started Thompson Investing and provides investors with investment opportunities in multifamily apartments, self-storage, manufactured home parks and much more. To put it in perspective, he's been involved in over 5,000 apartments or units of apartments, over $400 million of assets with some really, really great partners. So I'm definitely excited to dive in, learn a little bit about where you're seeing the market going, what are some of the takeaways, and really understanding how we can best position ourselves to take advantage of some of the opportunities that are going to be coming up in the future. So you ready to dive into things, Dave? I am. Let's do it. So looking forward, looking at the year ahead, talk to me a little bit about what are you seeing as far as investors out in the market and operators out in the market? Are we looking at some really great opportunities coming up? And how are you thinking about it when you're underwriting these opportunities on a three to five to seven year timeline? Great question, especially as we get to leave 2020, which everybody's excited to. (laughs) after a big COVID year and recession and and all sorts of crazy stuff going on in the world. But uh, I deal with a lot of operators. I sense a lot of optimism. I mean, certainly near-term cautious optimism, but optimism no less. Uh, Q1 typically, let's just talk about apartments. And I think it's a good bellwether for the different niches that we work in, just because so many of our investments are geared towards that. And if you look at institutions, they're, they're not putting money in retail, not putting money in office. And it's probably a little early for hotels, although, you know, with the vaccine starting to come out, I think people are starting to try to think about 
what's going to come back to, you know, fast. Um, but, you know, the apartments have been a steady eddy. Uh, I, I think overall apartment operators are happy with how they managed through the COVID. I think if you're in workforce housing, kind of more class C type of stuff, you're probably still sweating in a little bit, um, hoping for another government stimulus uh, that, you know, we're, we're all hopeful for a little bit more juice to we get this vaccine in place with everybody and things start turning around maybe second quarter or in the second half of next year. But yeah, uh, the pricing and the multifamily, what's interesting because of those sectors are being, no money is going to those other sectors I was talking about. They're not getting a COVID discount uh, that a lot of the operators were waiting for. Maybe give me five or 10% off of the springtime pricing and I, I, I'd like to uh, do a deal. So we're not seeing, in fact, some of the stronger markets like Austin where I am, I mean, you're just, you're, you're seeing cap rates still get more compressed. So a lot of money chasing fewer assets and, and maybe a, a couple particular niches. On the flip side of that, you got super low interest rates. So you got, well, listen, deals that might have not have made sense uh, a year ago with interest rates around four and a half, now at two and a half, <laughs> they're making more sense. So you got this kind of crazy dichotomy of, you know, expensive markets or, you know, some people would be on the sidelines, but also the numbers could make a little bit more sense. I think we have to adjust investor expectations still. They're still, you know, investors still, I still get emails from investors or calls from investors saying, hey, you know, you're projecting 6% this year. Uh, now it's 4%. We missed a quarter. You know, what's going on? It doesn't matter how many COVID emails you send to people. It's like, they just, you know, I'm like, well, go look at, uh, good thing you're not in retail, right? Good thing you're not in office. Uh, you're getting hammered over there. Okay. So, you know, we kept your money in good spots and, and, and recession resistant niches, which is uh, in retrospect it's been an awesome thing, but, you know, I think Q1 is going to be good. We've, we've actually been working in Q4 to expand our operator base a little bit. So we've, we deal with about, I think there's three multifamily operators in different geographies. So what I thought Stephen would be good is there are certain markets, maybe secondary tertiary markets. We normally don't play in. Um, we still like the big markets. It's just a lot more liquid easy to buy and sell into, but it's definitely more competitive. Uh, so we're looking at a few new operators and maybe uh, let's say, give me an example, Chattanooga, that can, they can do some Dashville deals, but they're looking at markets in healthy regions of the country, but they're getting a little bit more yield, maybe a little bit more interesting things, maybe not as so picked over and competitive in pricing. So we're expanding our operator base a little bit there. Just why? Because we want still solid deal volume, still opportunities for our investors, but also geographically diversify them from a sponsor perspective and, and geography is a healthy thing for investors in your portfolio. So that's kind of how we're reacting to that. Yeah, that's huge. That That's really big. And it's interesting because everyone was waiting for this COVID discount. People were kept talking about, oh, just wait, just wait. There's going to be these amazing discounted opportunities because of coronavirus. And, you know, everyone's just kind of sitting on the sidelines. But as a result of interest rates actually being lower, when you compare apples to apples, People are able to offer 15% premium in some markets as a result of the, the lower interest rates. And that's just to keep the returns exactly the same for investors, kind of assuming conservative underwriting. So when we're dealing with such a low interest rate environment, it ends up making it still pretty great for business. Yeah, no, I would say that's exactly right. I think it gave all operators an opportunity to work on their business this year, you know, their processes and infrastructure and growth and ready for the next wave. So it wasn't a lost year. It was probably a good a way to, hey, where I have challenges in my business, let's let's get let's focus on that. We're not acquiring more properties. Uh, let's make sure we take care of the properties that we do have. So all in all, I think uh, looking back on it, I think I'm pretty happy with the overall perspective. I and mean, we were probably in mm, 25 to 30 maybe syndication deals 
individuals in the multifamily space and across several different operators. So just understanding how they've all responded well, I think overall, there's, there's always an apartment or two, maybe a, a part of the country or a region or a, a demographic that's a little bit more struggling, but I don't think we're concerned about losing any property, which is a great thing. And that's why people love multifamily. People have to live somewhere. That key ingredient is still there. So yeah, I think that's the outlook. I think this year we'll continue to, to try to get more volume going in our business with, with the operators there, You know, just reading a lot of things. Yeah, it's, it's important to be able to be diversified. I think that's one of the big benefits of people like you and I, David, is that by partnering and working with folks like us, you end up being able to have access to a wide variety of different options without necessarily needing to build those individual relationships with those operators, because that's really where you know, firms like ours really come into play. So when you're looking forward, obviously you're looking to do a little bit more volume. You're looking at some smaller mid-tier markets that might have a little bit of opportunity available to them, maybe a little bit advantaged because of all these folks moving out of the big cities. What else are you looking for that might be different this year than it was in maybe years prior? Is there anything else that comes to mind? Let's just stay on the multifamily category one more, a few more minutes here. There's a couple of things I did want to share with your investors. I, I see it working, uh, but not, not every operator wants to go through the trouble or hassle, but I have one group I work with and they are killing it in um, East Lansing, Michigan, right? And like, like Lansing, Michigan, I mean, what's there? I don't think I've never been there. I'll put it that way. Nothing against Lansing, but it's, uh, you know, you doesn't come into that, you know, top 20 exciting growth cities that you always see every week in real estate where it's happening, where people are moving to. I think an important thing for the listeners are you don't have to be in the sexy markets. In fact, you know, people can make money in all sorts of different markets and all sorts of different platforms and strategies. This particular operator said, I don't want to play with these 200 unit apartments. That's where all the competition is. It's hard to get a good deal. You're fighting with 30 companies, get a deal. What about these 40 unit apartments, these 25 unit apartments? We're finding when they start looking into this, they, they actually found a, a couple guys who were in Lansing kind of doing this on a small scale. And then this company, these guys I know came in and brought, you know, brought some professionalism to it and structure and, and told them about a scaling business where if you could put in, uh, if you can grow a 400, 500 unit portfolio by picking off these 25 or 40 units, typically owned by mom and pops, typically they're cash flowing, but they're, they haven't been upgraded in years. The folks uh, are running them, not bad people, not that they're not smart. It's just, they're not keeping up on the latest and greatest like software about, you know, revenue generation for, you know, sophisticated property management software, or, Hey, when I aggregate a big portfolio, my services cost to pest control can go down, you know, simple things like, like that. Well, you put all these little factors together and you can create an awesome business and they're, they're killing it and they want to do more. So that's an idea for, if you're an operator, you're looking at, you know, maybe you don't play in the big boy or big girl space, maybe you come over here and find a niche that you find you can carve a business out of. And they actually believe over time they can IPO these things. They can get these big portfolios and sell to institutions where before you wouldn't even think about institutions in the same sentence with a 25 unit apartment, but they've created this infrastructure and they vertically integrated Steven. So they own their own operating company and and they made it really efficient. So that's kind of a cool concept. And they're, they're in Lansing, Michigan, <laughs> right? So, so that's pretty cool. I love that. That's very, very similar to one of the operators we work with exclusively focuses on midsize multifamily in the Denver market. And it's so interesting because you often think when it comes to institutional style deals that that's where you're going to end up having the best return. But because of the size and scale and being able to dominate in that market, they're able to get deals at a much better rate 
They're not dealing with that same competition by being able to roll them up all together. It ends up leading to really, really good upside for investors and really good downside protection, because when you're buying something at such a low basis, you're able to really build that equity for right from the beginning. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great point. And uh, this same group is on the hunt. They're kind of like specialists. They kind of go find things and they create the structure and they manage all the investor part of it, but they need capital. So I'm like, that's where I kind of come in. So we have a great relationship. And I said, what else, what else are you looking at? Because it does take time. And so they may have an opportunity in 2021, but you know, I like to do more deals with them. And they said, well, we, we found this operator. It's kind of early on. We've got this operator. I think they're down in the Southeast somewhere. There's a construction company. And what I've seen this happen when, when markets get tight, people have to get more creative and maybe take a little bit more risk. But, but these guys have done a really good job over time and they'll go in and, find, and go into a Midwestern city, for instance, and they'll go buy up four or five or six properties and they put their construction group and they they're kind of, call it deep value add, call it distressed assets. They're really looking for an operator that got in over their head. The market's not bad. It's it's a deep, again, we're talking Midwest. We just talked about East Lansing. You can make money there. And they find them $30,000, $40,000 a door. I asked them, I said, are these like in really bad areas? Because <laughs> I said, it's not going to go for my investor discussions. But he says, no, office times are not. They're just, they're just kind of, there's a lot of work involved. And so a lot of uh, value add operators shy away from them. And you may be talking about putting $20,000 $20, a door into some of these things, but you're buying them at such a low basis, but they have the, that's what they do. And they've been very successful over many years. And there's a couple of older guys that are kind of like, we don't want to keep looking for capital and do all this kind of stuff. So this is where we're interested in maybe coming in and helping them and do three to five deals a year. They're, they're, they feel that they can, this is a volume that the business that they've shown in the past is successful. And I think even now in the marketplace where we're talking about, it's still very competitive and pricing is still kind of tight in the multifamily space. This is the kind of thing that's a little off the beaten path, right? They're not getting a lot of competition. Who wants to go in there and spend, they, they, just, they flip them in two years, Stephen. So it's, uh, you know, you're probably not going to get much cash flow for two years, but when it, bam, it's done, it's like, boom, uh, they've created an asset in a, in a decent area that, people want. And so that's their strategy. <laughs> so call it a deep value add, call it distressed assets. Those are the kind of, you know, finer tuning things we're looking at this year. Great, 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 great points. It's good for people to be reminded that there's other opportunities out there that they can get invested in and that can really be a good way to diversify that portfolio. So I'm curious from you, David, you obviously dealt with a lot of different challenges this year from the operator side, you know, as scaling, we've all been dealing with challenges in COVID. Talk to me a little bit about how you look at dealing with challenges. What is going through your head when there is uncertainty in the market or in your business? Talk to me a little bit about what that thought process is, because I think that's going to be really valuable for listeners. Yeah, and I think one of, one of the things that reminds me every day is it's not, I'm in I'm in 35 deals I'm in personally invested in, and I have lots of investors in those deals. You know, I mean, really, we, I looked at the poor my poor leader day. It's 150 million dollars of investors in deals. That's a lot of responsibility, right? So I I feel like I can't just listen. I have a great business. I can take my vacations, but I don't really feel like mentally. I can just check out for a couple of weeks, right? Because people do have questions on these deals, especially more questions this year with COVID, right? You know, a lot of the deals, you know, we, hey, we were paying monthly. Now we're going to have to go to quarterly distributions, but we're going to pay something or we may miss a couple quarters. So, you know, communication with the operators and they were all, I didn't really have to coach them much on this, but the more communications, the better. Uh, that, that's just number one when we're talking about investors and the concerns, more communication uh, is better than, going quiet on investors. Just because things aren't going well doesn't mean 
you, you be quiet. <laughs> right. It's like you don't want you, you want to be out in front. And, and that's a pretty basic, uh, you know, crisis management technique. You just need to be out in front, be honest with people. You're invested with them. You're aligned with them. You know, make sure there's no shenanigans going on. This is the business reality of where we are in this market, in this particular deal. And it's a five-year hold. We're year one. Okay, let's let's not get too excited, right? We and you have a profit. You're, you're accruing. You know, if we can't hit your number, we're we're accruing that. You're gonna get paid first when we sell this asset before the GP gets profit. So there's a little bit of, of some of that going on. The second thing we talked about earlier, it's a good time if deal volume is going to slow down a little bit. It's okay as long as you're explaining to investors, and a lot of are naturally cautious during this type of, when there's a recession going on, they see people losing their jobs. They say they can't go to a restaurant and have fun. You can't get together with your family on holidays. <laughs> it's not a hard story to tell people. It, we're also in the apartment space. So these other deals may not be progressing as a normal year, right? So I'm impressed with my investors so far. I, I don't really think anyone's out there, you know, really not understanding what they're, they're doing, but it's a good healthy reminder to all of us in business that businesses have cycles and um, they can come out of nowhere. A black swan event like what we had this year can come out of nowhere and, you know, Make sure you're taking care of your customers, focusing on your customers. The operator is focused on the customers from what? A standpoint of helping them maintain health, you know, extra cleaning at the facilities, basic stuff, you know, show me putting up signs, showing that you care about me as a renter, as a person, right? That, that, that's a goodwill. And that goes a long way versus where's my rent, you know? Um, and also in the rent category, having flexibility on, you know, people lost their job, you know, we're not kicking them out. Obviously there was eviction moratoriums going on, but the human side of it is, you know, how can we help you? Do you know that this isn't accessible? I had one operator down in Houston. He's very good. Uh, it's a it's a kind of the workforce housing, a little bit more impacted by service jobs, right? He did a really good job getting out in front and telling people about government websites they can go to to get some short-term relief and things like that. Of course, it helps his business, of course. But from a humanistic story, you can you can do that in a right way to show your renters, I care about you from a person too, right? Your health. I want to make sure you get through this. You don't have to move your family. We don't have to kick you out. Uh, work with me, you know, kind of work with me. Obviously, there's a couple of people that don't want to work with you, but, you know, by and large, people don't want to move. They're there for a reason. Schools are close by. Kids have friends nearby. They work nearby. Shopping is convenient for them. They're in those places. Their family's close by. They're there for a reason. They don't want to move, uh, typically. So, a lot of it is just inward focus this year on operations and things like that. And th- this is a, a personal story with me. My daughter uh, works for Disney out in California. I've had the luxury of her f- since March, she flew back to Austin. She's hanging out. She can do her business from online. She's a computer expert. So, and then my oldest daughter, who's supposed to go to the University of Washington in the fall, she ended up staying here and taking her fall semester. <laughs> so they're best buddies. They've been having a ball. And and I'm like, you know, I'm looking at this whole COVID year. Yeah, I can't go see my parents in Denver where you are, Stephen. I, I've I cut off of those kind of things, but everybody understands that. But also look at the flip side. What are the positive things that came out of this? And it was like, man, we got bonding time that I didn't think I would ever have uh, anymore, you know, for an extended period of time with my kids. And it's great. And they're, they're young adults. They got opinions. They got ideas. And, you know, we got went through the presidential election. And you, you hear all sorts. It's just it's a lot different, but it's fun. And it was really enriching. And I told my wife, I said, I love my job. I didn't have to go somewhere. I could be around this all the time. We, I worked it into my schedule and routines. And we spent a lot more family time together. And you know, it's a little bit off the beaten path, which you suggested, but I think it's a good time during situations of, we don't think about it, but there's a lot of positive things that's going on and and you can really kind of recharge your batteries, understand what's important in your life, fix your business, work on your business a little bit, 
yeah, take care of the investors. They're, they're understanding you don't have a deal every month and, you know, you're not promised, you know, things aren't going great guns, but. Well, it's like when we go through these challenges, sometimes people have this feeling and, and that's the reason why I wanted to kind of focus on this for a second. I'm so I'm really glad you brought that up. People focus on this feeling of, oh, well, maybe there's a problem, so I'm just going to not address it. And maybe it's going to get better. And so they don't communicate with their investors. They don't communicate with their team, with their spouse, with their friends, whatever that might be. They just kind of internalize it. And when we go internal, that's fine. But when you do it for too long, and especially when there's other people involved, it can end up leading to a lot of uncertainty, a lot of mistrust, because when you're able to get ahead of it, when you're able to go through, like you said, the crisis communication of being really clear upfront to people, hey, this is what we're doing. We're going to communicate with you early and often. We're going to let you know what's going on. People start to feel a little bit better, even if you're giving them bad news. And fortunately, I don't think you've had to give too much bad news. And fortunately, we haven't had to either. But it's when you can clearly communicate and you don't hold back because there's nothing worse than that feeling of, hey, I keep following up with this person, but I can't seem to get a response or they're always waiting five days to respond to me, which I know, you know, is unusual. So clearly something is up and people start to have that feeling and that feeling grows. And so you definitely want want to get ahead of it. And it's easy when we look around and we see that the world is in a state of change and some of the things are not the way we want it to be to look at the negative. But you're absolutely right that there is so much positive. I mean, personally, just like you're mentioning, I spent more time with my family this year than I have in nearly a decade. I moved to Colorado and seven or eight years ago, and I was able to go back and spend six weeks with family just because it was an opportunity that I wouldn't normally take. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go step out of the normal comfort zone. It was a year that it was really important to be able to be there with them and be able to really connect at a deep level. You know, as a grown adult, being able to step back in and spend time with people is really, really important. So I think that's the big takeaway for people is communicate clearly and don't be afraid to take advantage of the opportunity instead of looking at it as like, you know, this is a negative. Right. This sucks. <laughs> that's right. No, and that's a great spin, Steve. And I think, um, you know, we're, we're, all, we're all excited to move on. I mean, I'm sure my daughter's ready to move back to California. I'm sure my daughter on January 1st actually goes to Seattle. She's going to give it a shot. And so I'm all encouraging all of that. But we've we really, yeah, we've been blessed and, and, and really looking forward to the new year, though, and new experiences for them and looking forward to, to some new operators I'm working with, new experiences and, and get on with it, right? So I'm curious on the capital side of the business, you know, for the listeners that are investors, what do you recommend when they're looking to find new operators or new fund managers or new capital placement agents to work with? How can they go about going out and finding different people who do what we do? And then also, I'm curious from the flip side of that, how can people who do what we do do a more effective job of connecting with the right clientele, the right people who are interested in, in what we're looking for. I think, I think both of those really play well together. I'd love to get your take. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, uh, sometimes that can be difficult, right? So these are private placement deals and, uh, they're not publicly, typically public advertised. You know, people are doing some of that with the 506C stuff, but I would say in general, they're not heavily advertised. It's harder to find the deals, although it's changing over time here, but 
you know, just probably like anything. How do you know, choose a doctor? How do you know, you, you typically just don't go, in the old days it was the yellow pages, but now maybe you go online now and maybe your healthcare provider tells you what your, your list of doctors you can choose from, but you could pick and choose there based on geography, somebody close to, you know, makes sense that that would be one criteria maybe for me. I don't want to drive all across town. Do I want to work with operators who are kind of close? So I want to see these properties. I'm in Austin, Texas. I, you could probably do your first deal in Austin, but you could look in San Antonio, Dallas, Austin, Houston. I, I was in Houston on Monday. These are all, you know, from San Antonio, it's a 90 minute drive, Dallas, three hours, Houston, Texas. I'm fortunate to be here, but there's a lot of places you can be in the country and be you know, close, good markets around you might want to start thinking about connecting with, um, you know, as simple as going to a multifamily meetup group in these areas, you know, uh, would be one idea. Going online, there's like bigger pockets I think we've talked to or online forums where you can actually criteria out people who live and work in your area that are also real estate interest, have real estate interests or any kind of uh, meetup groups that are meeting in, in real estate. Start understanding who some of the players are making relationships there. I, I never say you need to jump right into something. Just, you know, start finding out. By talking to people, you'll find out. Maybe your peers are already invested in these deals. And now that's how you hear about syndication. Hey, you know, that's how I get referrals, right? It's like, uh, this guy's have over and over success or she's had success and all of a sudden they want to tell them about me. And, uh, you know, I have a process around how I, I reach out to people once they reach out to me. So getting started, I just wouldn't be in a rush. I would just get educated. There's so much good information out there. Just spend the first several months educating yourself on what is syndication and different things like that. And, uh, you know, what niche do I want to be focused on? I can tell you apartments is very popular, but there's a lot of different syndications going on. What, what, what resonates with you? I think at the end of the day, you look at yourself as an investor and you say, what am I not exposed to? I'd like to be exposed to. Way too many people are exposed to stocks, right? IRAs, 401ks, and all of a sudden they have a rental house by accident or they tried it and they didn't like it. And they're like, wow, people over here doing this thing called syndication. I don't even know what that is, but I've heard of passive investing kind of explain that to me. And that's what the wonderful thing of syndication is all about, just educating people. So getting yourself educated. I have you know, blogs and you do too, Stephen. There's just a lot of information out there. We'd mentioned bigger pockets. So just start, put real estate syndication, just start researching. Ultimately, I do have a process for vetting sponsors. It's, I think I've shared that with you before. We can definitely share it again. It's like a 10 step process. But I can boil it down to simple. Go to their website, man. That's like a that's like the the, the storefront in the old in the old days when we had retail. <laughs> you could actually go to a store and see all their wares in the front window. Uh, kind of thing with the website. I can really hone. I could I could tell you by experience. I could look at a website in less than five minutes and say if I even want to have a conversation with these people or not. Is it website orally? Disorderly? Is it focused on a strategy? Maybe it's a niche. Maybe it's a one or two markets, or it's like. A couple of different niches. They get they're in five or six different markets. There's one person. Like, where's your team? Or you know, what's what is all this about? And, uh, you know, it, it's really easy that way. If I do like that, then I may go to the next step of you know having a conversation with them, kind of get to understand what they're doing, what's their track record, what markets they like. You know, just have a conversation with them and find out if you can get an uh, example of some of the past deals that they've done and kind of go through. But that's me looking at a deal. And then I think you were talking. Your other question was around capital raising kind of like what am i do you remind me <laughs> remind me remind me what we're talking <laughs> kind of related yes so that well it's for the listeners who are more on the operation side or maybe they're more capital placement type folks what would you recommend to them? You know, I know obviously you started in the game and when you were getting going obviously you had some great relationships. But for those people who maybe don't, what do you recommend there? 
Yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, it, it kind of depends on what you want to do. If you're looking, if you're interested in getting into the capital raising world, like kind of, you know, doing what you and I do, Stephen, I think, again, educating yourself on syndication. What is it? If you've never done it before, right? Educating, you could, there's, there's lots of good courses you can take on understanding some of the skills that you would want to do to get going on it. Ultimately, it's going to come down to finding a partner, uh, an operator partner, maybe through the first part of our discussion, you know, I found some group. Oh, hey, by the way, this group, I don't want to just be an investor in this group. Maybe I start that way as a limited partner. But I found out over time, they're in my area. I really kind of like these people and they really have the same philosophy I have and they're going to do more. And uh, how can I help? And uh, that's how I got started in syndication. I asked uh, one of the syndicated partners, how could I help them? And I actually went to a mentoring course that he was had. So there was a mentoring course. But ultimately, I was just asking him a question because I was like, hmm, let's kind of not figure out where I was going to go with all this stuff. The original plan for, with, that he had told me about was to, for, I'm helping you buy your first apartment. I'm like, whoa, that's a big, scary thing. You know, I, uh, it looks like there's a team of people doing that, not just me on my own. So I thought the best way to do it, Stephen, was just join them. I'm like, how can I help you? Not looking for compensation. Like, just how can I help you? Found out that they needed someone to help them raise capital for a, a deal that they had in Dallas. It was a pretty big deal. And I went out there and, and just, you know, not without a lot of training, without a lot of just, who do I know that might be an accredited investor and have a relationship with it and have that discussion. And, you know, he offered up the good opportunity, the good market, the good deal. I didn't have to figure all that out. And I educated myself on it and talked to a few people and found out I was really good or I really liked just sharing these ideas with people who had no clue that this opportunity was even available to them, right? <laughs> this is this is in the back room somewhere. Someone's smoking cigars, talking about these special deals. No, this is open to the public. And, you know, you have to read a certain accredited investor criteria and all that. But once you get beyond that, hey, are you doing the stocks over here? Real estate's been pretty good. I get back to choosing really good partners. That was still one of my key philosophies is take your time to find someone that you respect and like, and maybe invest in a deal or two with them and then see if you can help them. And if that opportunity never presents itself, you're, you're going to be farther along learning about other operators that do the same kind of thing. And before long, you, you might have an opportunity to raise capital. I, I think it's a fantastic business. It's something you could do while you have a full-time job. I mean, it's something you could do part-time and put your feet in and see how, how you like it. Um, if you are a former teacher or you like, uh, you were an instructor, a fitness instructor, you might be surprised. It's not a complicated field. You don't have to overcomplicate it with people. My favorite story with these investors who've never been here is just like, hey, you watch all the flipping house shows, right? You watch those flipping house shows, they go in there and they fix it up and they, at the end of the day, they, they, they typically sell it. It's typically three or six months, nine months they're selling them. Steven, you know, it's, this is your business, right? When you start, but as part is the same thing, it's just bigger and we need more money. It's the, these are 20, 30, $40 million assets. It's not going to be Steven and I getting together with our own pocket money and buying these things. We need help. We need investors. We need investors to do that, but we're essentially doing the same thing. We're, we're fixing it up. We're renovating a little bit. We're streamlining operations. And in two years or five years, we're flipping these things. We're off to another one. It's a slow motion flip. This is what that, oh, oh that sounds pretty interesting. Tell me about, you know, maybe how it works and how do I get paid and <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> they all want to get, how do I get my money back? Oh yeah. I'll, you have the basic questions and you know, like on my website, I put like frequently asked questions, 25 frequently asked questions of syndication. That's all the good stuff you would need to know as a capital raiser. Just, you know, here's the kind of things that Stephen and I hear all the time. And as you get more comfortable answering that and handling, uh, I don't want to say they're objections. I just say they're just good questions. You know, the, the, the best part about this business is the things that you're showing people, they really never seen before. 
at least the newbies. Like I've never seen it before, but they're smart people. They're just like, wow, you know, S Sally told me about this thing that you're doing. It sounds really cool. So it's not like you're selling them on a car or a house. They've already been through that process and they've probably been burned a few times. <laughs> they have this negative perception of you. What I love about my business and your business, Stephen, is like, I can't think of too many conversations I've had with people who are like, man, this is really cool. Or thanks for sharing that with me. I may not be ready right now. I may not be qualified. Those are the, the good questions you typically have, but keep me on your list. You know, let me know. I, I may be qualified soon or, you know, I don't have the money today because I just, you know, I just bought some, but in three months I may. So they're going on my newsletter, right? They're going on my newsletter. And I, I just always tell people in this business, when you're starting out, every relationship can count and you don't know. You know, I did a podcast like this, Stephen. My biggest investor came from a podcast. I was on a receiving end of just discussing on the podcast. The guy heard me on it. He said, you know, I don't even know what we talked about on that podcast. But he said, you just saw it down to earth. Like, you know, and you're investing in your own deals. It's only a good regular person I could talk to. Not a high flutin finance person up in some big city, you know, trying to sell me something. I'm like, well, that's, you know, I, I think that's, uh, you know, so here's my values. And, you know, I can send them something on why you invested me or why whatever. But at the end of the day, um, you know, people want to know you're a human being and you're talking to them on educating them. I had no sales experience when I got in this business. I don't even like to use that word, really. Maybe marketing comes in a little bit, but I really never feel like I'm selling anybody because this isn't the way the business is done. I mean, these are $50,000, $25,000, $100,000 investments. These are serious people's money. You want to be a good steward of it. You want to treat them the right way. That's a process, okay? That's, <laughs> that's not like I'm selling you shoes. Today, here, you're not tomorrow. I'm with these people five years. You know, they're in these deals for maybe five years. You know, that's a relationship, you know? <laughs> exactly. You got to build that relationship. You can't just jump in. You got to really have somebody have true buy-in. And that's one of the big things that people often feel like, oh, I'm going to be sold or it's going to be a high pressure situation. Not at all. It's actually quite the opposite because we, in my experience, actually, I'm usually pushing people away and it's not a tactic. It's not a strategy. It's Hey, if you're not hundred percent in, if you're not sure of yourself, then you probably shouldn't take the leap. Now, is that fear because you aren't sure of the investment? Is that fear because you're just trying to hold yourself back because this is new and different? Then, you know, you've got some things you got to work through. But I think this is all really, really important. And I'm so glad that you're able to join us today because it's such a good reminder that the world is going in a new direction regardless of whether or not we want it to, that we get to choose how we're going to show up. And that if we want to go down this path, there's a lot of different ways to navigate it. That's important. That's, that's, a, you hit the nail on the head. Um, things can change, you know, the, the, the river can go this way or that way where it normally doesn't do that, but you're still going to stay afloat and, and, and develop some new skills and ideas, but stay relevant to your investors. You don't have to have all this great, great advice for them. Just they, they watch what you're doing through your newsletters, through your day-to-day -day stuff and what you're doing. And as long as you're staying cool and confident, um, you know, and, and uh, being honest with them, that, that's really the way to go. And your prudency is perfect way to do it. Huge. It's so true. So thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch, David? Yeah, great, Stephen. So thompsoninvesting.com is our website, all one word, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N investing.com. Uh, I've got a lot of things there, um, blogs. We've got some books you can download. We actually have an ultimate capital raising course if people are really inclined to kind of think more about that process. But uh, uh, And I'm at david at thompsoninvesting.com. So I'd love to talk to you about uh, you know what you're doing and share some ideas. Wonderful to have you. It was a pleasure catching up again, my friend, and I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. 
Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.